This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 7.35 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana and Philip. In half an hour, we have the breakfast grill. And today, I'll be speaking to Ng Meng Tai. He's the founder and CEO of Opstar Technology, one of Malaysia's front-end semiconductor players. They're an integrated circuit design provider, and they are en route to listing on the ACE market this 15th of March. So tune in to find out what uh, Ng Meng Thai plans to do with the IPO proceeds and how the company sees itself in Malaysia's semiconductor industry, given that the industry is very manufacturing heavy, but they are uh, focusing on something completely different. So stay tuned for that conversation. Turning our attention now, though, to what's happening with the economies of ASEAN. For this past decade, Southeast Asian economies have thrived with GDP growth rates skyrocketing. In 2021, the 10 member nations of ASEAN became the fifth largest economy in the world with a combined GDP of around 3.2 trillion US dollars. One growing powerhouse in the region is Indonesia, which has a GDP of 1 trillion US dollars. Analysts have been touting the nation to be among the new economies to watch out for. Now, Indonesia is presently capitalizing on its huge nickel reserves. It has up to 52% of the world's nickel resources and is attempting to establish itself within international supply chains for electric vehicles. Now, just a few days ago, as part of an effort to accelerate adoption and attract investments from companies like Tesla and BYD, Indonesia followed the footsteps of Thailand and announced incentive programs that will cover sales of 200,000 electric motorcycles and 35,900 electric cars. So what is the outlook for the economy of the third largest democracy and which ASEAN country can transform itself to a global EV hub the quickest? For some insights, we speak to Anthony Nafte, Senior Economist at CLSA. Anthony, good morning. Let's start with a big picture look. Which economies within ASEAN are looking more robust and why? In, in Southeast Asia, um, just on, based on the global backdrop, uh, where we expect weakening global demand, um, we would expect we would that the domestic demand-driven economies will outperform. So we would prefer Indonesia and Philippines um, over your manufacturing-driven economies like Thailand and Malaysia, because th- those being export-driven economies um, means that um, there's going to be quite a drag on growth from either slowing or even export contraction. Uh, because of, and when I say global, you know, it's particularly in the US and the EU um, recessions where um, that's going to um, weaken your external demand. So those countries will be under quite a lot of pressure. Um, so Indonesia and Philippines, domestic demand driven economies, um, should be more resilient. Now, you mentioned Indonesia, their 2022 GDP growth climbed to its strongest in nine years last year. What are your expectations for its economic growth as commodity prices start to moderate? So absolutely, I mean, Indonesia um, benefited from that commodity boom um, and that really um, helped their post-pandemic recovery. Um, Now, we think that the commodity cycle has peaked, but we don't think that there's going to be a crash in commodity prices. So um, there will still be some support um, from that. Um, And, um, you know, going into the start of 2023, just as an example, your coal prices are still extremely high. And that's um, one of the biggest uh, revenue earners um, for Indonesia. Um, But as you said, um, the commodity cycle um, now starting to turn down, even even if they are an outperformer in the region, we still expect that growth in Indonesia this year will be slower than it was last year. 
um, and um, I'd be looking for a GDP growth of around about 4.8%. In February, Bank of Indonesia kept interest rates unchanged after six consecutive hikes. What are your expectations uh, regarding their monetary policy stance? How much of in, how much is inflation a key risk for the Indonesian economy? Yeah, um, so you still have the U.S. Federal Reserve um, that's continuing to tighten. So the central banks still have to be wary about um, the tightening global liquidity and um, the pressure on exchange rates. So um, I do expect that there'll be one more interest rate increase in Indonesia. Remember that um, the central bank in Indonesia actually meets every month. Um, so they did have um, time to pause at their last meeting. Bank Indonesia did actually signal that that could be the end of the tightening cycle. Um, but I think that um, given facing continued increase in US rates, um, that we will see one more interest rate increase um, in Indonesia. Um, I would just add one thing, though, that um, as we approach the end of the U.S. tightening cycle, um, and let's say for argument's sake that that is in July this year, then the pressure will be off the central banks in Asia. So we actually do see scope for central banks, and that includes Bank Indonesia, to cut interest rates in the second half of the year. Indonesia received some about 43 billion U.S. dollars in foreign investment in 2022. Now, it's the highest in the country's history. So what are the measures that the Indonesian government doing to attract FDI? And does an impending election that will happen by end of next year have any bearing on this? Yeah. I mean, FDI in Indonesia has been a bit disappointing, actually. Um, I mean, previous to the pandemic, um, they were averaging just over 2% of GDP. Now, it was consistent, which is good. But to be honest, they should have been getting double that. And the reason I say that is because um, generally they'll be running a current account deficit. They need much higher FDI in order to cover that current account deficit so that they can have stability um, of the exchange rate. Um, in terms of the FDI specifically, um, I do expect that we will see a pickup in FDI and that will be mostly tied to the EV, the electric vehicle industry. Um, insofar as the election, um, I think that I put political risk as quite low in Indonesia, we expect a smooth transition to the next president. Um, there will, though, um, be increasing uncertainty about um, whether the successor to Jokowi will continue with these reform policies. What are Indonesia's advantages and disadvantages that will determine its prospects of becoming a manufacturing base in the region? So the, in terms of the electric vehicles, that will be a spur for the manufacturing sector. Um, and now um, that what are the advantages and disadvantages that we could get a broader expansion of the manufacturing sector? Well, the advantages um, are the uh, large domestic market and the low manufacturing wage. So the manufacturing wage, just to give you an idea, is almost 40% below that in China. Um, now, the disadvantages would be um, the policies that make their imports more expensive. So as a manufacturer, you might rely on some imports that you need in your manufacturing operations. And because of um, NTMs, that's non-tariff measures, um, and import substitution policies, that increases the price of your imports. And so automatically makes your um, less competitive for foreign manufacturers in Indonesia. So basically your wage costs are an advantage, but your non-wage costs are a disadvantage. 
Now, you mentioned that the EV industry will spur the manufacturing sector. I wonder, right, who will be the main major players in Southeast Asia? In Southeast Asia, the two big competitors are Indonesia and Thailand. I mean, Thailand um, has already got an established um, auto supply chain, and that uh, definitely gives them a distinct advantage. Indonesia um, has the advantage of nickel being the world's largest producer and having the largest supplies of nickel. Um, so um, these will be the two these will be the two biggest competitors in Southeast Asia for the electric vehicle market. And Anthony, how do you think Indonesia has transformed to become a leader in the EV supply chain? Primarily, um, it's it's the nickel advantage, and um, and and they're going to leverage on that now. Indonesia's benefited from um, huge Chinese investments that are coming in, specifically first for that processing of nickel. Um, so the nickel has to be processed before it can actually be used for electric battery um, development. Um, the Chinese are coming both into Thailand and into um, Indonesia um, quite strongly, um, and, um, and and so that's going to be the major spur. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.